Well, greetings, brothers and sisters. If you're watching this, let me just go over a few uh, things in the opening before we get to a message. First of all, I want to remind you that you can send your prayer request to Kermit Weaver and uh, let him know if you have anything you need uh, prayer for or to have it put on the, on the prayer chain, and he'll send those out. Uh, just as an example, again, I had sent out a prayer requests for Glenn Gingrich and Pauline Schrock. Both were in the hospital with COVID. And I uh, want to just remind you again, they're both home. It seems like they are both have turned a corner, are doing better. So praise the Lord for that. Of course, you can always continue praying. As you know, if you've been around people with COVID, that there's days where things are going better, then sometimes there's a bit of a setback. So just continue praying for them. Also, just again, a reminder to you that uh, uh, we're limiting a lot of activities here at the church. If you are wanting to give an offering and are haven't been able to do, to do so because we haven't been meeting in person, you can do so at our website, or you can send a check to Chris Stutzman. Well, I don't want to take any more time. I'm just going to come into our message this, uh, for this morning and invite you to open your Bible this morning to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to look at one verse as a uh, thing to lead us off or to get us into our devotional message for this morning. Luke chapter 5, verse 16 is a pretty short verse and maybe a verse that uh, uh, you've heard read before. It's about Jesus, and it says, But he, Jesus, he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. And, of course, this verse for me is... uh, is on my mind and is important because in the year that we are focusing on coming back to the basics of our faith and our walk with Jesus Christ, uh, prayer is one of those key things. And if you're like me, prayer is one of those things that we can always talk about. And every time we talk about it, it seems like I'm reminded that I could always be doing more of it. I could always improve my prayer life. And I'll, I'll be honest with you right up front here, this message I'm sharing it with you, but it's really something that's happening here in my heart and in my head because I realize there's a a need in my life for more prayer, for more of what Jesus did. Jesus is our chief leader. He's our Lord, but not just the captain of our salvation. He's the captain of our lives. He's wanting to lead us into live as he lived. And he, being the very nature God, didn't consider that equality with God something to be grasped. But he humbled himself, and part of that humbling we're going to see is him living out the commitment to withdrawing to desolate places and praying. He's the Son of God, and yet he demonstrated for us what that meant. Now let me put that verse in just a little bit of context for us so that we can draw some things out or ask ourselves some tough questions about what this has to say to us. But let's put it in context. If you would go back to chapter 4 in in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is just beginning his public ministry. He's begun to call his first disciples. He's, He's an adult. He's just beginning his public ministry. And one of the very first things at the end of Luke chapter 4 that we're going to see him do is he comes uh, to, uh, uh, to Peter, uh, to Simon, uh, Peter's mother, mother-in-law's house, and he's there with them. He heals her, and we read that as he healed her and the word spread in the village there, that they brought the sick 
from all in the surrounding little village there, and they brought to him that night as the sun went down, and he healed them. And we begin to read how he went uh, through the night, presumably, or into the night, presumably, and was healing people, and was just beginning to get sort of his name out there, so to speak. And it says at the very end of that chapter that as uh, when day came, they were looking for him. The disciples were looking for him because they wanted to continue. There was more people, more people wanting to, to see Jesus and to meet him and perhaps be touched by him and healed by him. And they couldn't find him. And it said he had withdrawn. Again, we see the same thing. This is in verse 42. He had, uh, he had departed and went into a desolate place. And we know that he was praying. In fact, if you were to read this account in the book of Mark, Mark chapter 1, about verse 35, 36, 37, 38, we'd read that account. You would know it says there specifically that before daylight came, he withdrew and he was praying. And then we continue. He calls a few more of the disciples. He cleanses a, a leper. And it's at the context of those things as, again, his name begins to go out. In fact, the very, the very preceding verse, verse 15 of Luke chapter 5, says, But now even more the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. His popularity is skyrocketing. People are coming from an increasingly broad area and want to, want to be ministered to by him, want to, want to spend time with him, want to figure out who this Jesus is. And while that might serve as a temptation, it probably would for us, serve as a temptation to lessen the amount of alone time and, and prayer time, it in fact is the opposite for Jesus. He makes sure that as people are beginning to really press in, really want to spend time, and as we would look at it, his ministry is really taking off, he makes a commitment to withdraw to desolate places to pray. There's a couple of key words in that verse there that I want to zoom in. We understand them. They're in English, and they're pretty plain in their English. There's not any earth-shattering new definition I want to give you about them, but we should at least focus on them. When it says that he would withdraw, the Greek word for withdraw is hupakareho, which you don't need to know that word necessarily. It's made up of two words, hupo and kareho. Kareho means to place or to be or to go, and Hupo means under. It's actually used in a lot of different situations. For example, hupo tasso means to arrange under, and it has to do with getting your priorities right. Uh, hupo mane means to stay under, and it's the word we use for submission. So there's, there's, you, you see how that, that, that phrase hupa, down, under, going beneath, has a lot of key uh, distinctive qualities in it that are, that are important in the walk of Christianity. So hupo kareho is he placed himself under. That's what the word withdraw means. He drew under. He went, he went underground, so to speak. He, he, he lowered himself. He, he put a cover over himself, or, he, or he, he went out of sight, so to speak. And, of course, it says he went to a desolate place. That word desolate is also an interesting word. It's the word eremas which is lonesome or solitary or wasteland. That's why in some uh, uh, translations it says he went to the wilderness because he went out into the lonely places. The key being he went by himself. Now, let me just pause for a moment because it helps me to see something. It helps us to see something. If I am continually reminded, and last week I even referred to this a bit, that we need more good Christian fellowship, and part of that certainly is corporate prayer. And I have talked to different ones of you from church here that have said, we need more corporate prayer, and I will not argue. In fact, I say, yes, I agree with you. But in this verse and in these verses, this context and the things we see about Jesus, I'm beginning to be reminded, I may have known this before, but be reminded that 
I can't expect a whole lot of people to be very excited about corporate prayer with other believers if individual, personal, solitary prayer isn't happening. It's not that much fun to get together with other believers and try to do something that I don't really do by myself. I don't either want to or feel comfortable with or uh, spend time doing it. I don't know how to do it. I'm not sure what to do. If I don't crave, put it this way, if I don't crave that time with God personally myself, then why would I crave it with a whole bunch of other people? And in fact, we see that we don't. So before we can say, hey, we need to have good, stirring, increasing amounts of corporate prayer, which we do need, we have to remind ourselves, this is again, back to the basics. We need to have real, authentic, committed, regular, uh, passionate times of individual prayer where we can say, I'm withdrawing, I'm going under, I'm going out of sight, I'm going to a place that is lonesome, a place that is solitary, a place that's just me and the Lord. I'm not doing anything else, and I'm praying. As I was thinking about this, I began to think to myself, well, what are the reasons that we don't do that, that I don't do that? Now, this is going to be a bit of honesty here. Maybe not so comfortable for me or for us, but a bit of honesty. What are the reasons why I don't steal away, I don't withdraw and pray? For example, I might say, well, my time is too precious. My time is too precious. I have too many things to do. I have so much going on. I'm so busy. I simply don't have time. If I can steal away, if I can squirrel away five minutes for prayer, then I, that's, about all I can, that's about all I can manage. I have so much other stuff. But I urge us to stop for a moment and reflect on what we think that's saying about the value of time with God. If my time is too precious which is very precious, by the way, the time we have. We are all a lot of the same amount of time every day, and we have, uh, we're asked much of that, those minutes, those hours. We're asked much of that. But if my time is too precious and I don't consider time with God as precious enough to qualify, what is that saying about God? What is that saying about what it means to me to spend time with Him? What is that saying about my priorities because there's apparently a lot of other things that are far more important to do with my precious time than spending time with him. That's not a very good reflection. That doesn't make me feel very good or look very good upon my priorities or upon the way I think, does it? How about maybe I might give an excuse to say, well, I don't really need anything. That's an interesting one because on one level, when we take that statement, I don't really need anything, it's a reflection on our self-sufficiency, on the fact that we think we can do everything and we think we have everything in control. And that's a problem, isn't it? It's a problem in my life. I've got everything. I, I've thought everything through. I've spent time worrying about it and laying it out and thinking it through. Just, just last night, for example, I was uh, sleeping, I was awake during the night, and I began to think about things I had to do in my house. And I began to lay it out, and I began to think, oh, it's this and this and this. And, and after a while, and I started thinking, I'm not going to get back to sleep because I'm getting too worked up about what's, what, what has to come first and what's not going to work out right. What is going to work out right? But all of that was me trying to take care of a problem. 
me trying to figure everything out. So for me to say I don't need anything is on one hand a blatant statement of my self-sufficiency. On the other hand, I can also be honest and recognize it's a blatant statement of just being fooled because the fact of the matter is I have lots of needs. I just don't recognize that there are needs that God can do something about or that God wants to do something about. Or I'm not willing to address that I have needs at all. Perhaps I'm pretending, because we like to do this, don't we? I'm pretending that if I don't acknowledge the needs I have, maybe they're not there. Maybe no one else will notice either. Maybe they'll just go away. Maybe they'll take care of themselves. Don't we do that with each other a lot? Sometimes we hide things from the people that are closest to us because we think, oh, it'll, it'll, it'll get taken care of. It'll, it'll go away over time. So for me to say I don't need anything is at the same time false and at the same time a awful statement, an awful statement about my self-sufficiency. The reality is I have lots of needs, and it might lead into another excuse I might give. Well, it kind of seems like my prayer or prayer in general is ineffective. God doesn't, doesn't change anything. I can pray, but nothing changes. It's not like everything suddenly goes away or my problems are gone or that, that everything is just taken care of. And again, there's a careful inspection about what we are in, implying about that. And I can tell us on one hand, it would be theologically incorrect of us, according to Scripture, to think that all our problems are going to go away when we pray. Nowhere in, in Scripture is evidence that uh, those who are full of prayer have no problems in their lives anymore. Simply not there. On the other hand, again, it may reflect somewhat of a truth. For we know in Scripture, James, for example, says that the fervent prayers of a righteous man are effective. So perhaps it's an indication, if our prayers really are ineffective, that there's some unrighteousness in our lives. Also something we don't want to acknowledge, we don't want to agree with, we don't want to look in the face. So it's easier for us to pretend that it doesn't exist and just go on and say, well, I don't need that much, and by the way, nothing changes that much, so I just don't need to spend time doing it. Certainly at the most basic level, that excuse is a reflection on our, uh, what we think of God and his power, which is to say we may not think a whole lot of it. We may, not, we may underestimate what God can do or wants to do. It may indicate a pretty severe lack of faith on our part. None of these excuses are casting us in a very good light, are they? None of them make us feel very good. I don't feel very good when I look at the list I wrote down as the reasons why I don't pray. But the last one I want to give you is, uh, at least that I'm, it's not an exhaustive list, but the last one I want to give you is probably the worst one of all. Because at the end, I maybe don't really believe that my time is too precious because I can understand what the reflection that is on God. I maybe don't really believe I don't need anything because I know I have needs. I maybe really don't believe my prayer is ineffective because I know God wants to answer those. I mean, God can do lots of things. There's nothing impossible with God. Maybe at the end of it, it just comes down to the fact that I don't want to. I don't want to pray. It's not how I want to spend my time. Because it means reorienting my thoughts, my attitudes. You see this unfortunate thing happens when I spend time with prayer, in prayer with God. I listen to him and I share my, thing, my heart. And as I do that, I realize how selfish I'm being. Or I realize how minimal what I'm bringing to God, the creator of the universe, how minimal that really is in light of some other things. Or he begins to speak to me of some things that are not right in my life. And I can't squirrel away from it. I can't squirm away from it. I, 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 have to, I have to acknowledge it. 
So maybe in the end, the problem is I just don't want to. Which is why the word withdraw is so important because, again, it is to go under. Not only does it mean physically to remove yourself from other people, it also indicates what's happening in our hearts when we are coming in prayer to God. We are coming under, we are going under the cover of God. I would submit to us, to myself and to you, that if we are in a place where we really just don't want to pray, it is exactly what we need is to submit ourselves, is to go under, to bring ourselves under God and recognize who he really is and who I really am and how vastly far apart we really are. I just don't want to is why hupo is so important, to come underneath. Now, maybe some of the excuses I gave you Maybe there are ones you thought, oh, that kind of hits home. Or maybe you thought, oh, that didn't really fit any of mine. And I'll just be very honest with you. I would really, really love to hear, if you're willing to be honest about this, you're willing to look at how often you withdraw to desolate places and pray, I would love to just have moments of honesty and have you text me what your excuses are. What do you use, it? What do you use as an excuse for not praying? Just text me. All of you can find my phone number in the directory if you don't already have it. Uh, in your phone, just send me a text over the next week or two. Say, I found as I look at my life, here's the excuse I use all the time. Here's what I fall prey to. I think it's in those things that it can begin to change when we realize our, what our excuses and what that's saying about who God is or what he can do or who we are or what we can do, that those things, that false thinking can be, can, can be changed, can be transformed, our minds can be renewed and we can begin to lay those things aside. We may also find out as we continue having conversation about these things that many of us have those same excuses and it's primarily, uh, it's, a, it's, it's a really great place for us to hold each other accountable to say, hey, I don't want to use that, that excuse anymore. How about you? Let me, just, let me just walk with you and ask you, hey, have you excused you? Have, have, are you getting rid of that excuse? Are you overcoming that excuse? And you can ask me that same question. And you should. What's your desire like? Do you want to spend time with God? Do you believe it's worth your time? Do you believe it's effective that he can do anything? And do you see the great needs you have for God? Again, those are my excuses. You probably have some different ones, and I'd love to hear them. Let me make one more comment. Let me go one more place, because if you keep reading in Luke chapter 5, there's a few things. Jesus heals a paralytic. He calls Levi still, uh, the tax collector, whom we know as Matthew. And then he gets asked a question. And this question happens to do, have a lot to do with prayer. So I'm going to just bring it into this discussion today. And they said to him in verse 23, or verse 33, sorry, of chapter 5, verse 33, they said to him, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so did the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And the question was on fasting. And Jesus, of course, said to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? In other words, he's right there with them now, so they don't fast. But then he says in verse 35, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. My friends, we are in those days. The bridegroom is not with us. He's gone. He's going to come back, but he's gone right now. Which means we are in the days when his followers, his disciples, will also fast. So we again should ask ourselves that question. Are we fasting? Are we spending time fasting? You, fasting has a lot to do with this word hupo, bringing yourself under. Because first of all, you're bringing your, your own body under, your, under control. One of the most primary fundamental drives we have is hunger. 
We want to eat when we get hungry. It's very natural. It's what God designed our bodies to want to do so that we can be sustained and can live. When we come under, when we fast, we are saying, I will bring my body into control and show it that it is not the master. My stomach is not my master, but something else is my master. And it's not even just me, because the point of fasting is to do that while we're praying and withdrawing and bringing ourselves under God. And again, corporate prayer during fasting is extremely powerful, but it's built upon what happens in individual prayer while fasting. That's really where the surrender, where the submission comes. Again, it's, we've had those times where we do it together, and we should have those. We should have more of them. But it's the surrender. Those of you who have done fasting know it's much more difficult to surrender when you're doing it individually. No one else is there with you. No one else is holding you accountable. No one else is, is, is you're, not, you're not right there in the room with them, and, and you're all doing it. You have to fight those hunger pains yourself. You have to fight those urges to go get something to eat right then. You have to be the one that says, while I'm doing this, I will consciously, spiritually, mentally, everything, emotionally bring myself under the Lordship of Jesus Christ while I'm fasting. Let me just propose to you, this next week, let's say on Wednesday, we'll just, we'll pick a day, Wednesday's a good day, let's fast. Let's as a church body decide we want to come away, withdraw, do whatever we can to be by ourselves with the Lord, <coughs> excuse me, and bring ourselves to submission, our bodies to submission, and fast and pray. You know, I'll even say if Wednesday doesn't work for you, do it sometime between Wednesday and Saturday. Do it multiple days between Wednesday and Saturday. Do it the whole time from Wednesday to Saturday. doesn't matter. Let's spend, let's, let's make an effort as a church body. Let's fast. Let's pick a day. I'm, I'm picking Wednesday. Let's pick a day and let's fast together as a body. We can be praying for several things. One of the first things we can be, should be praying about is we've had, a, we've had a pretty massive outbreak of COVID in our church. People are not feeling good. This is why we're in this situation where I'm pr- talking to you via video. Let's pray to end that, that we would be healthy, we'd be able to return to corporate worship. Not just for our sake, so we can get back to, to doing our regular routine, but so that we can glorify Jesus. We can glorify God. We can be the body of Christ together in, in, deep way, in, in meaningful ways gathered in corporate worship. Let's pray for his wisdom and guidance and how we approach that. Here's this. We are still planning at this point, although this may change, but we're planning at this point to start revival meetings a week from today on the 18th. That may change. It may get pushed down the road because of the COVID things. We can't blame our speaker for not, uh, not coming during this time. If it changes or not, we're not going to change the fasting date, but let's say it's coming. What better way to prepare us for a move of God's Holy Spirit among us during revival than to have all of us come into that weekend having fasted and prayed and passionately sought God's presence individually as families and corporately if the opportunity presents itself. There's something else happening. I don't know if you're aware of this yet. I just want to get it out on your radar. There's a community worship night planned in White Pigeon uh, on Friday night and on Saturday night this coming week, the 16th and the 17th. Friday night, following the football game, a home football game, there's a, a little time of worship, and then a longer time Saturday night with preaching and worship time at the park, Wade Park, middle of downtown White Pigeon. It's multi-church effort at just having a community drawn together in worship. These things have been happening in other communities, and there's been baptisms taking place. There's been things changing among the people there. Let's pray. Let's ask God's Spirit to move and change in this community, change the people of this community. 
Now is the time where not just we ourselves have to be grounded, but that many people need to know the deep abiding uh, uh, faith that comes from trusting in Jesus Christ. Plenty of things to be fasting and praying about. Our nation, the upcoming election, all kinds of things. There's, you can add lots of things, but I've given you just a few things. But let's agree together Wednesday. Let's fast Wednesday as a church. Let's pray. Let's do everything we can to withdraw and to, to, come, to come to times of solitary prayer, prayer with our families, prayer with our, our church if, if, if the opportunity arises. Pray together. We can certainly be united in prayer even if we're not physically in the same location. Let's take up the mantle, the yoke that Jesus has asked us to do as his followers. Be willing, like the Savior, like our Lord, to withdraw to desolate places and pray. Pray with me now if you would. Father, thank you so much. We depend upon you. We're not always aware of it, but we depend upon you for everything. You have been so good to us. We have also had bumps in the road. We have missed being together these last couple of weeks. We long to put this COVID thing behind us, but we must recognize you're teaching us a great many lessons through this time. Oh, give us receptive, soft hearts and minds to receive these lessons. More than anything, God, we desire to be molded and yielded to your Holy Spirit, and that requires constant communication. Forgive us for how we have lacked a dedication to prayer, how our prayer lives are so empty and so non-existent so often. God, this is not about a guilt trip. You're not guilting us. You would never, this is what I love about you, you would never guilt us into doing something for you. But you are so glorified when of our own desire we see the value, the beauty, the wonder, the most amazing opportunity we have to spend time in close fellowship with the creator of the universe. Thank you for that. Open our eyes to where true power comes from. In our own personal lives, in the lives of our families, in the lives of our church, in the life of our nation, that true power comes from time with you from being on our knees and our face before you, from fasting, denying ourselves, and saying we will go under, we will submit ourselves to you, to Jesus, to the Holy Spirit. Prepare our hearts, Father. Yes, for revival here and now in our church, in our community, but also just in a more general sense for the return of Jesus Christ, that our hearts are ready, that we are not made weary or, or, or uh, uh, weak in our faith because of the things happening around us, but that we are strengthened, that we are ready, we are waiting, we have our eyes fixed on Jesus, that when he comes we will say, yes, we have been awaiting this day, and help us to do the work faithfully that you've given to each one of us individually, as families, as a church, until that day comes. You, Jesus, are worth it. We, we magnify you in Jesus' name. Amen.